Okay, good morning everyone. <clears throat> good to see you. If you have not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. I want to offer you a very warm welcome. If you've got a Bible, could you grab it and could you go to the book of Exodus, near the beginning of your Bible, to chapter 20. Chapter 20, we're going to be looking at um, a short verse from there. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been traveling through the Ten Commandments. And we've gone into a lot of kind of detail on all the commandments, and we're on our ninth commandment today. So we're almost done. Next week we'll have finished. We'll do commandment number 10. And we've looked at these commandments, and we found they're part of God's moral law that he gave to his people. And the fascinating thing was that he gave to to his people after they'd been freed from slavery in Egypt. If you remember the story, Moses... Uh, Red Sea, plagues, that kind of thing. It was only after they were free did God give the commands to them. So the, the idea was that this was how the people of God should live, which is why we called the series Free to Live. You've been set free. This is how we should live. We don't follow these commands to try and earn God's favor because we can't, but actually we live in light of what God has done to us. And these commandments remind us that we need a saviour because we look at them, we find out we can't actually keep them ourselves. They are far beyond us, which then points us to Jesus, who perfectly embodied them, all ten of them. He lived a perfect life, but actually through his perfect life, death and resurrection, we too can have freedom. And we've gone through these um, commands. We looked at the first four, which are called the first table of the law that point us to God, about we have no other gods. We have to worship the right God the right way. We have to honour his name and also keep his day. That was the first thing. That was very a Godward focus. And then the second table of the law that we've been going through, these are more what you call horizontal commands. These are how we work and live with one another in the world around us. And we've got about honouring parents and authority, which starts at home. Mum and dad, you honour them. And then talk about preserving life. Uh, pursuing sexual purity and then honouring God with our possessions. And so the, the ninth one that we're going to look at today, if you found your Bible, verse 16. Ruth, could you throw that up for us? There it is. It says, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. A little bit wordy. Let's have a look at what this command is about. Now this command deals with truth and how we use it. And this has a huge significance for us today because we live in what some commentators have called a post-truth culture. And the Cambridge English Dictionary defines it as this, relating to a situation in people in which people are more likely to accept an argument based on their emotions and beliefs rather than one based on fact. They're more likely to accept an argument based on emotions and belief rather than one based on fact. You hear people say that there's no such thing as objective truth. You can have your truth, I can have my truth. Even if they are diametrically opposed, if it's true for you, that's okay. Which the flaws in that are hopefully self-evident that actually you can't have two opposing truths and then both be true. One is true and one clearly isn't. And even over recent years, our confidence in those who should speak the truth have been rocked. We've had in our leaders in government, remember the MP expenses scandal, going back a little way now, 10 plus years, suddenly exposed, all these people have been fiddling the books, and there were fines handed down, prison sentence. What about Brexit? There's been a lot of untruth about that, being bandied around by all sides. We have a general election coming. Yay! Another one. Is anyone expecting really to hear the truth from our leaders? We've kind of got to that point where we're thinking, come on, 
Even in the church, we've had things um, of rock the church with um, abuse scandals with small children over years that have been covered up. Uh, we can expect even our leaders, religious leaders, to tell the truth. But it's not just others as well. It's also ourselves who have our own problems with the truth. I read, there's an article I read the week, every week, which just gives me a summary of the news from around the world, which I'm fascinating. At the end of it, they always have kind of a long-form article. You can read this week's one, or a couple of weeks back, was about um, the race to create a perfect lie detector. Uh, It's all about the truth. And I thought, oh, that's fascinating. I'll have a little read of that. And it begins like this. It says, we learn to lie as children between the ages of two and five. Having had small children, I've watched that. When Levi was really long, two, three, he would just confess sin to me straight away. I'd walk in the room and he said, I just hit Asher. And you're like, okay, fine. That didn't last long. He learned to conceal and to deceive. It says, we lie to our employers our partners, and most of all, one study has found, to our mothers. Sorry, Mom. That's what it says. That's what it says. The majority of our 200 lies, which researchers say we hear every day, are white lies, the inconsequential niceties. I love you in that dress that grease the wheels of human interaction. But according to the psychologist Richard Wiseman, We also tell one or two big lies every day. We lie to promote or protect ourselves and to hurt or avoid hurting others. And so actually, we can look at those in authority over us and problems with truth, but actually, according to that, actually we all have problems with truth and how we speak. We speak many lies a day, the study says, including one or two big lies. And so this this commandment speaks directly to us in this culture today. So we're going to look at the what, the why, and the how of this commandment. First of all, let's look at the what. This commandment comes in the context of a courtroom. When it talks about false testimony, it's thinking of a witness who has been summoned into court to give evidence about something, but what they are telling, what they are saying, what they are testifying about is wrong. That's why they are a false witness. They are basically, we would say in our vernacular, they're telling lies. Fibs, porky pies, whatever it is. They are not telling the truth. And this was hugely significant. It's not just significant now. In fact, it was actually more significant if we translate back, whatever, 4,000 years to when this was happening. This was even more significant for them then because the court at that time would have been the city gate or the town gate of the where they lived, and there they would have been where the elders met, who were kind of the, the senior figures in the community. And if some dispute had come up, they would adjourn and they would come together at the town gate where all the business is done, and they would have a court and they would deliberate what's happened. And then people would be summoned to give evidence, to give testimony, to be witnesses. And because at that time there was no DNA, there was no fingerprints, there was no CCTV the witness was the only real evidence that you could bring. Someone who had seen something, heard something, been party to it, and that they would then give evidence to that. And so when you have that kind of situation and a witness comes and gives false testimony about it, you suddenly find yourself in a huge problem. If someone comes and says something about you and accuses it to you, and they're the only witness 
you've got no kind of recourse. And in the, if you find in the law, in both the Old and New Testament, they actually put safeguards against this, thinking actually we can't just have one person telling a lie and getting someone else into trouble. It actually, they actually put safeguards in saying you have to have multiple witnesses, two or three. You find in Deuteronomy 17, in the case of capital crimes, it says on the evidence of two or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. They're basically saying, we know that people lie, so you can't just get away with one person coming. You actually need to have multiple witnesses to corroborate each other's story before you're going to pass such a serious judgment. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy 5, it talks about the leaders in the church, the elders, and it says, actually, you cannot entertain an accusation against them unless you have two or three witnesses. Again, it's to protect those in authority for those who may with an axe to grind. Say one witness is, no, no, you need more than one. And So we see the problem here. And in terms of speaking the truth, this commandment deals with the worst form of that, the worst form of lying. Just as we saw in the command about you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, they were the worst expressions of those crimes. Murder, willful, uh, premeditated murder was the worst kind of taking life, and we looked at accidental and stuff. And then in terms of sexual purity, there were lots of ways to break the command, but adultery, breaking your covenant with your partner and going off with someone else was the worst, the highest form of that particular covenant, uh, commandment breaking. And in here, the worst form is lying kind of under oath in a court before a judge, before others, and accusing someone falsely. And so this command points to a God who is concerned about verbal justice. He is concerned about how we speak to one another and what we say to and about one another. God wants his people to be a people who speak truth. And this law was designed to take, protect people's lives and their reputation. And if we look at the verse, it has that word at the end where it says, you will not speak false testimony against whom? Your neighbor. And so there is a sense that actually this starts at home. This starts at the people closest to you. That's where we outwork it first. So your neighbor is someone you know, someone close to you, someone in the street or the town where they would have lived. They wouldn't have been particularly large communities. And so actually you have to speak well of those who are around you. Now, when Jesus comes in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he takes neighbor and takes that concept and takes it wider. We should speak to, about well of everyone. But it begins at home. It begins with those closest to us here. This is how it starts. And the Bible is full, if you go through it, of people who fail to tell the truth with terrible consequences. Even if you look at the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we have the serpent in the garden who comes to deceive Adam and Eve. With, and they, they believe him, they fall, and the rest is history. We have... Cain, who lied about where his brother Abel was. We have Abraham, who lied about who his wife was to Pharaoh. We have Jacob, who lied to his father to get the blessing. We have Laban, Jacob's uncle, who lied to Jacob about his wives and all the consequences of that. We even go into the New Testament, it's still the same problem. Peter lied about knowing Jesus. Jesus' own crucifixion was based on lies, false testimonies from witnesses. And even skipping forward into the book of Acts, you have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. If you've not read that, that's a chilling one about how God feels about deception. This is clearly a huge issue then and now. Unlike other commandments, 
This is obviously a heading, but it covers a whole bunch of things others. You might be thinking, thinking, well, I haven't been to court. I've never been summoned at a witness, so I'm okay. I've never had to give false testimony. But actually, underneath this command, there are huge ways where we, we are deceptive. We don't speak truth. Let's just go through, of you, through, through a few of them to remind ourselves. The first one, obvious one, is just telling lies. Telling flat-out lies. Blatantly stating something that is untruth. Saying... Black is white or white is black, denying something you have done, even though you may be caught or not. Whether in the courtroom or in our home or our family or our work, we can just tell flat out lies. That report said we tell one or two big ones every day where we just speak things that aren't truth. And most people generally agree that that is not a good thing. But there are others. What about twisting one another's words? Sometimes we can report on what someone said to us and we can change the emphasis of what they've said thus undermining them and what they've said we can take a long conversation summarize it in one or two words and paint that individual in a very poor light we can change the meaning take words out of context and put them in a difficult position by just twisting what they've saying not getting their intention their meaning their heart behind it what about gossip and slander Paul lists these in 2 Corinthians 12 along with many other things that are terrible for the church particularly but also for wider society. Gossip is passing on a report that cannot be substantiating and talking about someone in a way that damages their reputation with others. Talking about someone when they're not there and damaging their reputation and passing on things that you can't substantiate, you don't know the truth behind it. It's also passing on something that is unnecessary, something that might be truthful, but you don't actually need to share that. You don't need to tell that to anyone. Gossip, it is powerful and destructive. One of the ways to check yourself in this area is ask yourself, would this person I am talking about be happy if they heard me sharing this? If you've got any twinge of conscience or the answer is no, then you need to stop. What would the result be if I shared this? Would it be a good, positive, wholesome, God-glorifying result if I shared this? If not, then it's probably best you don't. The reality is we love secrets and we love to hear them and we love to pass them on. It makes us feel important and powerful, but ultimately, behind it all, it is gossip. Even if gossip, you can be involved in gossip, even if you're not actually the one speaking, you are just in its presence. And by your silence, you condone it happening. Do you need to leave? Do you need to get out of there? What about slander? Slander is deliberately passing on what is false, what you know is wrong, and you pass it on to someone else. You take something that is untruth and you pass it on. Jesus lists this actually alongside adultery and murder as something that we shouldn't be doing. He takes it that seriously. He said this is something that defiles us. This also includes asking, um, assuming the worst possible motives about people and not giving them the benefit of the doubt. They do something and you just think the worst of them. They must hate me. They must want, want to cause me harm and assuming that and passing it on. What about condemning rashly without a hearing? Social media hasn't helped us with this one. You hear a story... You hear a situation and you just assume the worst of that individual. And it doesn't help if you don't particularly like that individual anyway or what they stand for. You just want to think the worst of them. The idea of innocent until proven guilty just flies out the window rather than trying to hear what are both sides of this story. How do we come together? Let's try and get a fuller understanding of that. What about exaggeration? 
deliberately increasing or decreasing the facts about a case or situation. Anyone here involved in sales? A common trap to fall in where you exaggerate something's positive sides and then you decrease or minimize something's negative sides to try and make it work. But it's not just those people. All of us do this. We try and make ourselves look better by speaking ourselves up or try to make others look smaller by speaking them down, exaggerating faults or minimizing strengths in people. What about omitting what is true? Sometimes we say things which are untrue, but sometimes we don't say things that are true that we need to speak out for others. This is a passive thing, but it can be just as wrong. If you deliberately withhold some information that would help someone make a decision, help someone think well of someone else, actually you're just as guilty as breaking this commandment than if you'd actually said something yourself. What about making promises or commitments that you have no intention of following through on? I'll be ready in five minutes. Really? Will you? The report will be with you Friday. Really? We need to be people who are truthful to what we say. What about being vague about commitments that you might have made? Oh, hopefully I'll get around to that. I'll try and be there, but yet have no intention of following through. The Bible says simply let your yes be yes and your no be no in those situations. We have also a modern phenomenon. When I started preaching 20 years ago, this would never have come into an application or part of a sermon, but social media cannot help us in this situation. I think most of what people put on social media can be true, but we've got to be careful of what we consume from others. What we consume is way more than what we post, and what we consume in social media isn't always the truth because it doesn't tell us the full picture. Some people love to post things on their social media that are all the positive, all the good stuff about their life, which isn't particularly wrong. But when we read it, we can think that everything about their life is good and perfect, which is not helpful for us. And actually, we don't see the full picture. Some people like to post, and most of their stuff can come across as negative and bad, and actually their life is terrible. But actually, on reflection, if you know these people, actually their life isn't that bad at all. And so we need to be careful of what we're consuming and how we're thinking about truth in those things and actually trying to get a fuller picture about people in the world around us. And so for this command, it's stated negatively, and we've had many negatively stated commandments, but also every commandment has a flip side. It can be stated positively and negatively. And so for this one, for us, to state it positive, simply to speak truth. That's what we are to be as followers of Jesus, as Christians. We are to speak truth. Speak the truth as much as we can. And before we kind of move on to the why, let's have a couple of clarifications on this and what it means to speak truth. In my reading round, there are, I think, a few situations that aren't covered by this commandment. And the reason they aren't covered, I think, is because they're obvious. One of the really obvious things that aren't covered by this commandment about lying is the whole entertainment business. I don't know if you like going to watch movies or television, but we know that when the actor is there on the film, he really isn't the god of thunder <laughs> and trying to save the universe from Thanos. We know he's just a dude from Australia. And so actually, yes, he is lying in what he's saying, but actually it's an acceptable one because actually we know what they're doing is playing a role and they're just entertaining us. It's the same with our kids when they do role play. 
And we talk about truth, actually. When my little boys were small, they'd dress up as builders and policemen and doctors and superheroes, and we'd play along and have fun. I didn't stand there and berate them for their deception of me. We just enjoyed it because we all knew what was going on. No one got hurt. In the same way, there are comedians who tell funny stories that you think, I don't think that's right, but actually you're just entertaining and we're all on the same page. There is no desire to deceive or damage one another, so we kind of let that go. I don't think that falls directly under this commandment. But then there's another area, which is quite a contentious one, and that is, is it ever okay to lie? I don't know what you think. There are Christians who stand on both sides of this argument. I think I'm more inclined to stand on the side of there is a case for when it's okay to lie when it involves preserving one of the previous commandments, particularly the one about preserving life. There are several incidents in the Bible where individuals lied to preserve the life of others and they were not condemned. We have in Exodus the midwives, I think they're called Shipra and Pur, who deceived Pharaoh because Pharaoh had said you will kill all the uh, Egyptian, uh, the Israelite babies. And they said, no, 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 no. There's a commandment about that. Although they hadn't actually received it, but they knew there was coming. You've got to preserve life. You can't kill, kill babies. And so they said, you know what? The Israelite women are so tough and so strong. They have their babies so quick. Pff, we can't get there in time, so we can't kill the baby. And Pharaoh bought it. And they were never condemned for that. What about Rahab in Joshua 2, where the spies went into the land to spy it out. And they went to Jericho. And the king found out and said, we want to kill these people. Kill these spies. And so what did Rahab do? She hid them. She protected them. The guards came. No, they're not here. Carry on. She was never condemned. In fact, she was brought into God's people and is in the line of Jesus as a result. And if we bring that right up to date, to a modern example, we have those who hid the Jews during the time of Nazi Germany, where they lied and deceived those who would seek to kill millions. And I think in those situations there are acceptable places, but what we mustn't do is ever use that as an excuse for us to get away with massaging the truth and uh, being deceitful ourselves. But if you're in that situation, I'd probably be on the client to say, yeah, I'm going to break this commandment to preserve an earlier commandment, especially when it comes to keeping people alive. All right, let's look at the why. Why is it so important that God would want us to speak the truth? It seems not as strong as some of the other ones, like murder and adultery. Doesn't it seem a bit outdated in this 21st century? I've got three quick reasons why I think this is important for us as a believer. Number one, it reflects the nature and character of God. It reflects the nature and character of God. It says in 1 Samuel that the, God, the glory of Israel, uh, the God of the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. He is not a man that he should regret. Romans 3 says, let God be true and everyone were a liar. Numbers 23 says, God is not a man that he should lie. Psalm 119, talking about God, says, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Psalm 86 says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Hebrews 8 says, it is impossible for God to lie. God is the God of truth. He speaks truth and keeps his word. There is no deceit, no falsehood, no shadow in him. And this is summed up perfect for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is described in Revelation 1 as the faithful witness as opposed to the false witness in that commandment. 
Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. His friend Peter wrote later, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When we embrace truth and speak truth, we are reflecting and acknowledging the character of God. And we are pursuing after him. Second reason, when we pursue truth and speak truth, we reject the nature and character of our enemy. It says in Genesis 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Later, John 8, Jesus says, talking about the devil, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When we pursue deceit and lies, deception, we are embodying the character of our enemy. When we embrace truth, go after truth, speak that out to others, we are reflecting the character of God. Third and final reason why we should do this, it reminds us that we are called to be witnesses. Your job, my job, our job as believers is to be witnesses. So this commandment speaks directly to us. Acts 1.8 Jesus speaking, he says to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, end of the earth. We are called to be witnesses for all Jesus has done in our life, for how Jesus has transformed us. He's chosen us. He's saved us. He's regenerated us. He's justified us. He is in the process of sanctifying us. We've been adopted into his family and one day we'll be with him forever. We are called to speak truth about that. And if the rest of our life doesn't add up, how are people going to believe that we're going to be witnesses about Jesus, true witnesses? If we embrace truth in all areas of our lives and we get to speak about this, it will all line up and make sense. If we embrace deception, not only are we going after our enemy, the devil, but actually when we then get to speak about Jesus, people will naturally be skeptical of us. Because we have a history of not speaking truth about the more mundane things of life. So when it comes to the big, eternal, spiritual questions, they would not want to listen to us. It says in Ephesians 4, Paul writing to the church there, he says, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We are to be witnesses who speak truth. All right. How does this work out for us? How does this work out for us? How are we going to practically earth some of these things? There's three things I want us to think about now as we kind of wrap this up. We are to be people who speak truth. We are to be men and women of truth, men and women of integrity. And we're to speak truth. I'm going to, just, I'm going to do it in three areas. We're going to speak truth about God. We're going to speak truth about ourselves. And we're going to speak truth about others. First one. We're going to speak truth about God. We are to proclaim the truth of God to every tribe, nation, and tongue. That is our responsibility. We are witnesses 
as we just read, Jesus says to us, and we are to have every opportunity and use every opportunity there. We do it by our lives. We demonstrate it by how we live. We're going out this afternoon being good to our community. There is a demonstration that we want to love you and we're putting on something that's completely free uh, that hopefully the kids will enjoy and come and be a part of when after your money. We're demonstrating the goodness and the grace of God to people, his free gift. So we're doing something free to bless them. So there is a demonstration, but also there must be a proclamation. We have to speak out the truth about Jesus. We are to speak out about his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness and his presence and his provision, his protection, his guidance in our life and his loving care for us. We talk about his majesty, his greatness, his glory, his excellence, his holiness, his power, his authority, his wonder, his wisdom. We're to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that he was who he said he was, that he is God the Son who came to earth, who was born of a virgin, He lived a life, a perfect life as a man. He never did anything wrong, any sin. He then proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. He healed the sick and raised the dead, trained up followers. Then he died a death on a cross in our place for our sins, rose bodily from death, empowered his followers, ascended into heaven, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And we are to proclaim that boldly and faithfully to all mankind. And give them an offer because one day he is coming back to judge everybody. And the only way to safety, the only way to avoid conviction for our own sin and our own failures, of which there are many, is to repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in him. That is what we are to do. That is what we are to proclaim. That is what we are to speak out. And we are to know that truth. And if you're not a believer here today, I want to offer you the opportunity to come to know Jesus for yourself. That's why we exist as a church. We do lots of cool stuff, which you'll like. But the reason we exist is to tell you about Jesus. That you need to know Jesus for yourself. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you at the end. But that's the biggest thing you're going to come for today. That's what we're here for every week. Now, how do we help ourselves with this? How do we kind of make this more effective in our lives. We need to read our Bibles because God's word is truth. It was embodied in Christ, but then he put it down for us in a book that we can read and we can study and we can learn. We need to be men and women who study the word of God, who look at it, who read it daily, who build it into our lifestyle so we are learning from it. We need to sing decent songs, worship songs, whether it's here, at home, in the car, whatever. Sing songs full of truth so we learn truth about God, that we are being built up with him. We need to listen to sermons as men and women proclaim the truth of God to you, that you let it affect you, transform your life, convict you of sin, pull you further into Jesus and his love and his grace. We need to read decent quality books that point us to God, that are full of truth, that expound some of the, the difficult parts of Scripture. Think, oh, I don't really understand that, but I've got this, this can help me understand what's written in there. We need to hear testimonies that others who've encountered God, we had a bunch this morning, read out and think, wow, God, you are amazing. You love and you care for us and you know us and you know where we're at and you will meet us and you will draw us to yourself. We fill ourselves with these things, we grow, we learn, we get equipped that we can talk truthfully about God. One of the things I do regularly is I regularly proclaim the gospel to myself. I get saved a lot, it turns out. That I remind myself of the truth of what God has done. And I preach the best sermons I ever preached and then I say, who wants to get saved? I do, 
I need it. I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness, his love, his grace in my life. And so I give my life to Jesus regularly, to my own altar call. And we need to be people who are willing to learn more about God. So when we speak, we are speaking the truth and we are speaking the truth of others to others that we can combat the lies that we often hear. That God isn't a good God. He doesn't care. He's not interested in you. He doesn't know you. doesn't love you. He's not for you. Look at a bloodstained cross. Dwell on that and suddenly everything falls away. All the lies go and only the truth remains that he did everything for you. And he loves you and wants to know you totally and completely. Second thing, we are to speak the truths about ourselves. We need to speak truthfully about who we are in Christ. Who we are as God's people. Not because we're better than anybody else, but because this is who God has made us to be. As God's people, we are chosen. Bible said that God has picked us out. If you're here and you're a believer, God chose you, even chose you to be here this morning to listen to me. Lucky you. God did that for you. We have been regenerated, which means we were dead and we are now alive. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, Paul says, but now you are alive in Christ. You were spiritually dead. You've now been spiritually brought to life. The picture of Lazarus in the tomb where Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth, and he comes out. That was what happened with us. By the power of the Spirit, we've been forgiven. Not guilty, the judge says. Your sins have been dealt with, but more than that, we've been adopted into a family. You are now God's child. That's why Jesus told you to pray, our Father, because you have a Father in heaven who loves you and for you. We are being sanctified, which means we are being transformed day by day, bit by bit, to be more and more like Jesus. God's Spirit is at work in you. We are holy, the Bible says. We are saints, the Bible says, no longer sinners. We are righteous. We have right standing before God. The power of sin has been broken over us. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit dwells in you all the time and in us as God's people together as we gather. God is a Father who loves you and cares for you. And you can come boldly before his throne and make regrets, requests day by day, week by week, every moment. Jesus is your Lord and Saviour who died in your place for your sin. And even now, he intercedes before you, for you before the Father. He brings you before his Father in heaven to remind him, to say, look, what a wonderful thing. We have the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, who dwells in us and powers us for life and godliness. We are to know this truth from God's word and we are to speak it out about ourselves. Speak it aloud. Remind yourself who you are in God. We are to reject the lies of the world and the enemy. The enemy who loves to lie will do everything he can to tear that down. He'll tell you you're useless, you're rubbish, no one cares for you, God's not interested in you, God's punishing you, he hates you, he wants to destroy you, he wants to punish you and beat you down and make you insignificant. He wants your life to be a mess but actually that is not what God has said. God hasn't said you are useless, you'll amount to nothing, you are unlovable. In fact, he said the opposite. He said, I love you, I'm for you, I've set my heart upon you. And so we only need to be people who speak the truth about ourselves, to remind ourselves as we get into our word, that we remind ourselves who God's made us to be, not because you're smarter or better looking than the next person, because God has set his heart upon you and he loves you. Last one. We are to speak truth about others. 
We are to be known to be people of the truth of Jesus, but also those who speak truthfully about others. It says in uh, Ephesians 4, 15, it says, speak the truth. And there's two other words it adds on the end, which are also very important. They are in love. So we are to be people who speak the truth, but we are meant to do it in the overall context of love. I will speak the truth, but I love you, I am for you, I want good for you, so when I speak the truth to you, I will do it in that way. I'm going to focus just on our church family, because I think that's where we need to start, but actually this applies to everywhere outside, workplaces, families, um, wider foot of families, uh, social groups you're in, people on the playground, all those kind of areas. We need to speak the truth to one another. We need to speak about one another truthfully. We need to get it right in here first and then take it out to the world. And there's a real danger when you get a community and you start bumping up against other broken, hurting people that we are tempted not to. We can take things to heart. We can feel hurt, ignored or lonely. We can speak out of past pain or insecurities or our own unconfessed sin. We can speak out of jealousy for someone else's perceived success or what they've got in their life that we don't have, a perceived slight. They didn't speak to me this morning. They must hate me. And out of that, we speak about people badly. It can be about difficult life situations in or just a plain disagreement where people, do people disagree about something, which is okay. And we end up not wanting to speak truth about one another. We can use prayer requests as an opportunity to pass on kind of gossip. I want you to pray about this and let me tell you about someone else and the situation they're going through. We can't have that. In fact, the enemy loves it. He wants to sow discord among the people of God and hurt and pain and multiply divisions in all, that, all his way. And us speaking truth about one another and to one another in love will deal with that. We know that we all fail in this area. We know we're all murderers and we know we're all adulterers. We did that. We've dealt with those ones. Guess what? You're all liars too. Just, it just gets better, doesn't it? We are all liars. We all know we do this. And so we need to be people who repent of that. Even today, there'll be things that God has put his finger on in your life. In a moment, I'm going to lead you in some sort of repentance. And actually, we need just to, to, to reject that, turn away from that. I'm not going to do that in my life. But also, on a practical level, if we know we've got a grievance against someone in our family, in the church, and we know that actually there's something that we just need to get right, get done, because it, it, will, it will bar our relationship, it will tempt, tempt me not to speak well of you to others. The Bible has very practical answers to that. It says you need to go and talk to people. You need to go and talk to that person, not someone else. You don't bury the issue, because that just becomes a landmine that you'll step on or someone else will step on at some other point. We confront one another, we confess well, this is what I'm thinking, this is the hurt, this is the perception. We give them an opportunity to talk to us, we hear them out, we forgive one another, and then we move forward together in the bond of unity as we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be men and women who speak truth to each other, speak truth about each other, because it reflects the nature and character of God, and this is what he's called us to do, to be um, his people. And only through a church that's united, Will God then bring blessing and bring the fruit of all the things he's called us to? I'm going to pray and lead us in a little bit of a response. So do you mind standing? And will uh, the band come up? Let's just do a little bit of business with the Lord.
Do you want to just close your eyes, open your hands? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the truth. Lord God, I thank you that you've given us your truth in the word, in the Bible, Lord, that we know about your great gospel. I thank you that you have saved us and we can live in the light of that, Lord Jesus. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come fill us now to be men and women of the truth. I pray, Lord God, that we would be men and women who speak truth about you, Lord. I pray you lead us where we have a skewed view of you, a skewed view of our Father in heaven. If you know there are things that you've been thinking about, God, of recent days that you know are lies, they've been exposed, take the moment now, repent, speak to God. He knows anyway, that's the great irony of it. He knows and he loves you and wants to deal with it. Repent now and say, I'm sorry that I thought that about you, that I didn't trust your provision. I didn't trust you loved me. I didn't trust you cared for me. I didn't trust that you were watching over me. Or there's a situation you're facing, you're like, you know, I don't trust God's going to come through on that and look after me. That I don't think he cares about me. I don't think he notices me. Reject the, tr- the lie now. Believe the truth that he's a father who loves you and wants good for you. What about the truth about ourselves? Some of you believe lies about yourself. You're not loved. You're not going to amount to much. No one cares about you. Even in this building, people in, my, in this building don't care about you. That's not true. We love you and we're for you. You think you're, you're still uh, a guilty sinner even though you've been a Christian maybe years or decades. That's not true. You've been forgiven. You are a righteous, holy saint loved by your Father who you can come into his presence anytime. Yeah, we still muck up, but God says I put a provision in for there that you just come to me for forgiveness and I deal with it. It's been dealt with on the cross. Come, get with, come to me and get forgiveness and cleansing. Speak the truth about yourself. Confess your sins now. Just say, God, I'm sorry that I felt that about me, that I believe that about me, the hurt in my life. And what about how we've spoken to others, about others? Do you know there's people in this congregation or even wider in your workplaces, places you walk, if you're involved with kids, you've got kids at school, mummies on the playground, whatever it is, social groups you're part of where you have not spoken the truth about people. You've twisted, you've exaggerated, you've omitted stuff, you've been guilty of slander or gossip, pulling someone down, actually not looking for the best motives, passing on things. Repent of them now. Just name them before God and say, hey, I want to leave that. I want to be a man or a woman of the truth, of your truth. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you that where we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you will forgive us our sins and cleanse us that if we've confessed our sins now we are forgiven before you and we thank you for that provision Lord Jesus I pray Holy Spirit God you'd come fill us each now that we would be men and women of the truth and when difficulties and disagreements arise we would choose truth to go and speak to someone in love I love you I'm for you let's try and deal with this issue for your glory Lord we pray God bind us together in unity that we are a community who loves and cares for one another and speaks well of one another. And this then flows out into the places we walk, our workplace, our home, where we spend way more time. God, let us be men and women of the truth. For your glory. God's people said.